The Isle of Og, written and narrated by Michael Tibbetts. summer's daydream, in the middle of a sparkling blue sea, lies the beautiful island of Og, where, during the heat of the day, dragonflies flit to and fro, while swirling butterflies chase and dance across the fields and woodland glades. On Og, the sun always seems to shine, and the climate is fresh and warm, To those on the distant mainland who know of this place, they would tell you that the island is uninhabited, except for a solitary farmer and his wife. For it is on this island, in a thick stone-built windmill, that Edic, Phoebe and their young family live. Edic farms a modest area of fertile ground on the gradual slopes of a nearby long extinct volcano, where... During the heat of the day, he tends to his vines and olive groves. Here, he harnesses the island's most abundant resources. A warm sun, a strong sea breeze, a fertile soil and a regularly washed climate. By combining these ingredients, Eddick makes a rich red wine and a thick, dark olive oil. Using an old, well-worn tractor, he also grows a modest crop of wheat, which, when harvested, is stored dry and safe, high in a small silo situated next to the mill. The windmill sits on top of sheer cliffs that overlook the deep and crashing seas below. Its thick and whitewashed walls are built from the island's hard, igneous rock. The windmill's sails are powered all year round by the island's reliable sea breeze. Inside are four millstones. The largest and heaviest of these lies flat at the building's centre, whilst three smaller satellites stand upright like primitive cartwheels held at their hubs by sturdy wooden spindles that lock into the central oaken drive shaft. Once power is engaged, large cogs rotate through a series of clunking cast-iron gears, turning the mill's vertical mandrel. Rumbling and crunching, the uprights whose track is a deep granite trough slowly begin their orbit of the central grindstone. During the seasons, the mill has many uses. In the late spring and summer months, the uprights are used to press and extract the island's olive oil, whilst in the autumn they crush a harvest of grapes. This cyclical process, combined with the wind and salty sea spray, gives Og's wine and virgin olive oil a rich and unique flavour. During the mild and wet winters, the flat central millstone is engaged grinding the carefully stored grain to flour. 
Unlike the wine and olive oil, this is rarely sold, but kept in sacks and used by the family throughout the year. Edic and his wife, Phoebe, work as a team. Edic, strong and powerful, provides the necessary muscle and farming skill, whilst Phoebe, mother and leader, understands nature's way. For it is her who organises the family so that they remain in tune with the natural rhythms of the island. Og's forest provides plenty of firewood with which to cook and bake their daily bread. The few farmyard animals that graze in nearby fields supply them with both milk and meat. A well-maintained herb and vegetable garden, supplemented by the island's wide variety of fruit and nut-bearing trees, means that their diet, while simple, remains wholesome and varied. From the mill, well-worn steps hewn into the cliff's crystalline rock wend their way down to a natural harbour below. For it is here that the mill owner moors his small but sturdy boat, where every Friday, when the sea is fair and the sky is blue, Edit turns fisherman for the day, casting out his net to catch fish for the family's supper. The farmer trades only with the mainland in order to exchange his wine and olive oil for those few modern essentials which he cannot either grow or make. Other than that, his family is totally self-sufficient, isolated from modern civilization, visited just once a year on the longest day by a small ferry that makes the long journey across the deep, treacherous, washtub seas. Phoebe calls from the mill to the farmer, tending his vineyard. Hey, Edic! Edic! It's here! Come! Come quick! The ferry! It's arrived! A small boat moors in the island's cove, where the crew hurriedly unloads last year's emptied barrels, along with the long-awaited delivery of mainland goods, all paid for in exchange for the island's produce. Once the full barrels are lashed safely on board, Edic and his wife share a small but hearty meal with the crew. The captain, ever aware of changeable weather, is eager to say his farewells. Whilst he remains polite and friendly, Phoebe can see he's anxious to start the long voyage home, hurriedly wanting to return to safe the waters before the night falls. Edic and Phoebe are thankful, for they have plenty, and see that the island is both generous and kind to them. So by way of respect, they leave the rest of the isle to nature, allowing it to remain hidden and untouched, doing nothing more with it than to appreciate and admire its natural beauty. Like those on the mainland, you might conclude that the mill owner, his family and their meagre collection of livestock were the only ones who lived on this isle. But you would be wrong, very wrong as this prehistoric atoll is also populated by a wide variety of wild birds and other far stranger animals, the vast majority of which are rarely seen, for being nocturnal, they live quite separate and distinct lives. For this tale is not about Edic, 
his family or their ways as they have only a minor role to play. This story is about one of the island's most reclusive of inhabitants, a fire sprite. These will-o'-the-wisp-like creatures are not like those found in legend or fairy tales. Here, they are small mammals. Mouse-like creatures covered in fur, but these have strange gossamer wings and can fly. But what makes a fire sprite truly distinctive is its tail, for it is this which glows that gives the fire sprite its name. Not everywhere is fields and olive groves. Over half the island to the east is covered in a thick, deep forest. A forest that shrouds the island in a dense green canopy. At its eastern tip, there lies an ancient evergreen wood. Here the trees are broad and tall, their branches thick and numerous, so that even on a clear night, when the moon is fat, there resides a darkness. A darkness that remains hidden and untouched. Surprisingly, it is in these pitch-black recesses where you would imagine only evil would dare to lurk that the fire sprites make their home. Here they live amongst the vast entwining roots of the forest's largest trees, hidden away in their small, comfortable burrows. A fire sprite's day is directly opposite to ours, rising at dusk, then disappearing into their homes at the first light of dawn. The reason the fire sprite's village is here is because this is where the rare and wild fire flowers grow. The fire flower is a master of disguise, able to mimic the shape, size and form of all the other woodland plants. During the day, it is impossible to set apart from any other. But come the night, and the plant's flower will reveal itself. For it is only the petals of a fire flower's bloom that will glow. Oddly, their faint illumination casts no light, so they would not make a dark place any lighter. But the thicker the forest, and the darker the night, the brighter they appear to shine. Fire flowers and fire sprites are symbiotic. The plant needs to attract the young adolescent fire sprites in order to pollinate its flower. So, to ensure this, it grows only in the deepest, darkest parts of the forest. Fire flowers are especially important to the fire sprite, as the young need their nectar in order to mature. For it is this, when drunk directly from the stem, that has something in it. Something quite special that sparks the first light in the tip of a newborn's tail. As the young fire sprites drink more of the nectar, their light increases, imperceptibly growing, extending from the tip and moving up their tail. Once their light is complete, only then will their wings emerge, and coiling from their backs like woodland ferns. Until that night, the young are earthbound, 
having to walk the forest's dark and hidden pathways in search of the fireflower's nectar, each waiting for a time when they're able to take to the air, never again needing to drink from the fireflower's bloom. Fire sprites, partly because of where they live, are rarely seen, except in the short time when the olive groves are in bloom. Their lights, for those fortunate enough to see them, are considered to be a sign of magic and good fortune. For in legend, fire sprites are said to hold the power to vanquish the hidden forces of darkness. But in truth, fire sprites consider magic to be an evil and dangerous thing that if sought, would corrupt the mind and enslave the soul. On Og, the olive trees are different too. Like most, they flower just once a year. Yet when they do, their blossom is peculiar. The buds, delicate and small, remain closed during the day. But then, on a clear night, under the light of a bright moon, these vespertine flowers will bloom. Like honeysuckle, they release a fragrance that's strong and sweet. When a single bud opens, its life is short, a flowering that lasts just until the dawn. Then, as the sun rises, its petals can be seen to float away on the morning breeze in a sweet and scented blizzard of pink and white confetti. Towards the end of the winter, when the nights are long and the olive trees are in first bloom, the adult fire sprites will gather on the forest canopy, waiting for the last of the setting sun to be swallowed by the island's volcano. Then, in a sight to behold, they ignite their tails and take to the air. Rising high into the night sky, their lights momentarily lost amongst the stars of the Milky Way, before they reappear in a whir of stellar dust as they dive deep into the forest below. Together, under a rising moon, they journey off through the trees in search of the olive blossoms, sweet Nighttime Ambrosia.